What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Fractal Exploratorium. I'm your host, DJ Brule, and I'm joined by my friend and audio engineer, Nit Tantillo. Good to be back, Deej. I'm not sick. I'm not tired. I'm just ready to podcast. Uh, we finally got this thing going. I know it's been a little while since we've had one, but we are back in the flow of things now. And we're going to launch today off by talking about hardcore theoretical physics yay just kidding we're gonna we're gonna warm up get we're gonna get there first actually i kind of wanted to talk about something that i'm actually not highly knowledgeable in the field of and that's the field of uh sports so this is something that my friend nick over here is definitely a lot has a lot more aptitude to talk about than i do but I do want to talk about some of my personal experience with it and actually how it relates to what I, what I talked about here on the Fractal Exploratorium. And a, a lot of my personal experience with it recently with the past Super Bowl, I don't, what, I don't even know what number the past 52. Super Bowl. 52. Who was even in it? Uh, the 49ers and, uh, you know, the other team. That other team. <laughs> that the other Chiefs, team. the one that won. Do you it. even know who is it? I do. Uh, one of my clients it was on what they call Super Bowl Row, row which is, uh, or sorry, it's called Media Row at Super Bowl week. So she had like back, you know, backstage passes or whatever to all the media stuff. So I actually was editing a lot of audio from Super Bowl week. So that's the only reason I know. So what kind of audio was it exactly? Um, she does a podcast about. Um, diving into to sports players' lives after they retire. So what it looks like um, mentally, physically, uh, what their lives, you know, different things they struggle with or, um, you know, trans- transition into doing. Some of them are, you know, businessmen and investors and that type of stuff once they leave. But, yeah, she focuses on, you know, life after sports and she was there and she records and sends them over and I sit at home in my boxers and edit that audio. So, so have you, have you learned anything from it? Um, just out of curiosity, I've always wondered what happens afterwards. Cause I've read that there's extensive brain damage after impact sports like football. Yeah. So I think more what I've learned about is the transition to full-time family life and sort of figuring out what to do your, with yourself when you you're no longer spending all that time only doing sports i think uh more so than talking about traumatic injury which is very common especially with football um we talk a lot about the transition more so into to what to do with your time because so many of these guys uh and gals are wrapped up in i mean that's the only thing they know is how to train i mean she had this one olympic athlete on and this girl was incredible but you know after sports you get a little bit lost when all you knew was training. And so it's like if you you know you could no longer go to work and be a structural draftsman and you could no longer flex that muscle every day, that would probably you'd probably hate that. And that's kind of yeah, I mean, my industry obviously architecture and stuff we don't quite experience that, but Right. I do know of many notable inventors and scientists that did lose, you know, their mind as kind of its own muscle too. Hmm kind of lost ability and kind of went crazy in their latter years. Most notably, Isaac Newton went pretty <laughs> crazy in his later years. Uh, Nikola Tesla went crazy in his later years. Nothing to do with Tesla the car, right? No, Nikola Tesla, the, the guy who actually invented the modern world, so to speak. Did 
it's total side tangent, but did the Tesla come from Nikola Tesla? Do, I mean, do you think that he named it after him? Yeah, that's a, that's exactly what he was going for. Even though it's kind of it's kind of odd since the yeah, Tesla the runs on direct current and not alternating current, which is what was championed by Nikola Tesla. So I was going to ask if he did something in the electrical world. I mean, I, of course I've heard of him, but I, I I don't know. So do you know what your house is run off of? DC? No. AC? AC, alternating current. I should know this because I'm an audio guy. So d- direct current is what they first started powering light bulbs with. This is what Edison is the one who championed direct current. And direct current is great for certain things. It's typically not as high voltage so that's one of the reasons um edison was able to scare the general public that alternating current was scary and more deadly which isn't true their electricity is deadly direct alternating current doesn't it's relevant (laughs) i feel like uh a good example of dc would be our guitar pedals i believe that's all dc um, your guitar pedals, yeah. They, well, your guitar pedals actually have both. It's fed through alternating current and traverse the DC, and then and you have a DC battery inside of it. Basically, batteries are direct current. Your car battery is a direct current. Think of things that are not on the grid. The grid is all alternating current, and there's a good reason for that, because if we went direct current, if we didn't have alternating current... Guess how much? Guess how often you would have to have a power station? Twenty four seven. You can. You have to have it twenty four seven. So at the time, just how many you would need and where you would need them. I don't know. No idea. You would need a power station at the end of each block. A station? Yeah. Like a whole like station. Production, producing electricity. So not just like a little power box. Direct like current does days. not go very far. So what is a power box? This dumb question. What does a power box do? Like a tra- you mean outside your house? A trans. What do they call it's those a transformer. Things? transformer? And what it has is it has a coil of of wire. It has a coil of copper wiring in it. Mm-hmm. That copper wiring is coiled a whole bunch of times, and what that's doing is that's reducing the current for usable to your house. So when a transformer explodes and we hear that super loud sound, and it shuts everything off, why is it that it only affects that grid well it's shorting out there and then see like okay for example if you ever looked you have a gearbox outside of your house yeah. a breaker panel mm-hmm. that breaker panel is think of breakers as a barrier that if too much so think of it in terms of like water piping so if, if too much water starts to come out the piping and and it wants to start shooting out like your your shower or something and the pressure is too high it would blow out your shower head. Mm-hmm. But think of you have something before your shower head that cuts off the flow if the flow gets too high. Same thing with electricity. You have breakers that if the flow of electricity gets too much, it'll automatically snap the breaker. Mm. So you have you have two, um, like a fuse. It works like a fuse in yeah. a way. I mean, it, it just shuts off before everything can get charred. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, well, it's not, it's not exactly like surge protection, but it'll trip if too much voltage is going through it, too much current amperage. Too much of that is going through, because otherwise it's just going to burn out your electronics. So that's all AC? That's all alternating current, yes. But, I mean, fuses work for direct current. I mean, essentially it's the same. The, there's, the only difference is that the current is alternating. It's not just a direct flow. It's an Tesla, alternating flow. Tesla was the DC guy. No, AC. 
Oh, but a car would be DC because it's not plugged in all the time. Yeah, I mean, these guys didn't invent electricity. I mean, Edison and Tesla both came upon electricity was already being messed with. Yeah, well, I've heard that Edison didn't, like, quote-unquote, really invent the light bulb. Well, I mean, there was many other people. I mean, he basically just made... He did do something important. This is probably one of the only things he did important. I'm not a huge Edison (laughs) fan, but credit where credit's due. He definitely came up with a method for creating a marketable light bulb, a light bulb that could be sold on the market. But all before, they were too inefficient, they were too expensive, and they didn't last long They enough. couldn't be reproduced at a, a rate that made any sense. Exactly. And what he did is, he was a businessman, so he gathered all the people, and he had to test every combination for filament inside of a light bulb until they came up with the incandescent bulb. Which we use today. Which is, yeah, I mean, a variant of it. Uh, essentially, it's the same principle, same concept. But uh, there's been a shift to LED, which is obviously different. I do. I love LED lights. Not just because of, like, the energy they save, but I love how lights... I feel there was this, like, long period of time where every house and even... I mean, this is still going on, but so many lights are yellow and warm. And I love that with the the com- the coming on of LEDs and stuff. And I feel like th- like this room here, I noticed when I turn the lights on, is very nice and white. I love white light. Uh, and I think some people, it stresses them out. Um, like fr- fluorescent lighting definitely stresses people out because it reminds them of work. But well, I love not just white that. light. Not just that. There's a scientific reason fluorescent lights aren't good. They flash at an incompatible hertz to our eyes. So I don't know if you ever sit in class and you thought the lights flicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's because you're succinct with your hertz absorbing the hertz that the light bulb flashes at. So it's funny the first time I actually learned about how like light works. And I mean, we've all learned when we were kids about how light works, but the first time you really materialize it and sort of understand it for yourself, uh, I related it to audio because it's very much the same uh, as audio bits. You know, this is just depending on what I set the sample rate to, it's just a ton of little pictures that it's putting together, and that's basically what light is. You know, it's just a bunch of flashes, but super, super fast, right? And I've always related it to that because speed of sound, speed of light, both kind of the universal speed limits. Is there different, like, um, you know, so we talk about wattage on light and stuff, but we talk about how much, like how fast some the light flickers or whatever, or how fast the... The actual light. I mean, hertz. Is, it, is that hertz? Yes. So that's measure. Okay, so it's the same as sound too. Yeah, exactly. It's literally exactly the same. Well, that's why if you ever, I like when my first year I took rock history cycles you know, per second as a screw around cra- class in college. Mm-hmm. Rock history <laughs> shouldn't even be a college oh, class. Not rock history, like, like uh, not mineral history, yeah, like that, rock that, and roll, like Beatles, Doors. <laughs> it's know, so funny. I Zeppelin. had to take that class too. I don't know why we had to take that. It, I, I thought you were talking about minerals. But the but the first one. Uh, you know, and I thought it was a screw around class, and so did everyone until we launched into music um, theory. And then everyone was like, "Whoa, what? <laughs> this music theory is complicated. What the hell?" Music music theory was one of the classes that I actually didn't finish in college. I finished mine. And that's why I barely. I'm a, <laughs> that's why I'm a podcast engineer. We ended up co- doing math. I was like, what, am I in a math class? Like, I was like, I thought this is music. Yeah, they break out the circle of fifths, and you're like, what? I like the circle of fifths, though. I love perfect fifths. Some of my favorites. Does the circle of fifths... Now, I know we, we are nowhere near where we wanted to be probably for this episode, <laughs> but does the circle of fifths actually relate somewhat back to fractals? Because it is a circle, and a circle is repeating on itself in a way. 
Yeah, well, I mean, we actually we can start relating this back to fractals. So, uh, we'll we'll come we'll come around to this, but I'll just for a little bit of bad story here. So, when I was taking this music history, you know, rock history class, one of the first lessons our teacher told us is that he would play notes and then told us that these notes, if you were to um, if you were to scale them or or, or scale them down in frequency, would equal like red. So it'd be like right now I'm playing red because that's the frequency that like the pigment of red would be oh. the wavelength, the wave band that would be in related to the notes. So notes are actually colors or it can be kind of the same thing. So I don't know if you've noticed, but like certain notes, you know, like minor chords will make you feel a certain way and certain mm-hmm. colors make you feel a certain mm-hmm. way. Both those have a stimulus input and stimulus reaction from humans to both mm. of those things but is that stimulus reaction based <clears throat> off of what is around us and the stigma of certain things around us uh, what i mean by this is like because we live in america and black is generally known as like you know a dark and dreary color and like light blue is known as a happy color if we were in you know a different part of the world where maybe the standards were different and we weren't affected by what other people's beliefs and standards are we might not think that black's sad well okay so we're influenced as, is what as, I'm as it to being say. a cultural thing there there is some influence to that as, as an external factor of culture having an impact on how we perceive color but if you took away all that you took away all cultural impact there is still a feeling that's invoked in you within color and our advertisers have actually made use of that. They exploit how colors make us feel. So certain colors like McDonald's uses yellow because yellow is supposed to kind of induce kind of a hunger. Really? Attitude. All advertising purposely makes things the way that they want them to be for color. So they'll be like blue to invoke certain emotions within you. If like it's a company that's supposed to be like caring or something or, you know, a compassionate company or mm-hmm. something that's supposed to help you opposed to a service that's supposed to invoke a different kind of emotion. Red is kind of like the romantic, you know, so our society. So rather than society conforming to it's 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 not the uh, okay so what i'm trying to say is it's not us conforming to the societal norms and the way we see a color as much as societal norms conforming to the way we see the color if you get what i mean it's one influencing the other the way we are invoked by emotions actually drives our culture rather than culture drive our emotions towards the color oh i see what you're saying so you're actually saying that where i'm thinking maybe the root of how we interpret it is actually society and the people around us you're saying that the root of how society even interprets it is because of the color itself from that basis ah. and then it twists it a little bit and does so i mean the the, the thing is like all other issues it's a multitude of factors <laughs> yeah. that's what people oftentimes try to people forget that when they're in politics or doing anything yeah, they get very one-dimensional yeah oh people are just like this it's like well no <laughs> no not all the time i mean there's too many factors to just go people are like this because this People are like that because that. It's a narrow way to look at things. Life is way more complex than that. And 
people listening to the Fratto Exploratorium, of all people, should know that if you listen to other episodes, that life is very complex and very interesting, and there's a lot of depth to everything. Um, narrowly saying people are just like this is mm, it's kind of a closed-minded, not full-picture way to look at things. And this brings me to the next part and the part we're going to go into. So we're going to circle back to sports here. <laughs> and the reason we're going to circle back to sports is because sports has a lot to do with fractals, especially in the arena of sports gambling. So my company for this past Super Bowl, whatever, what number was that? 52. Yeah, I can't remember stuff like that. <laughs> so uh, fifty. yeah, so the last Super Bowl, 52. You know, I could be wrong. It could be totally, totally wrong. Okay, well, it might be like fifty six. Whatever Super Bowl we had in year twenty twenty, us nerds don't know that stuff. (laughs) The year twenty twenty, the Super Bowl we just had, um, that one, my company, they had a um, they had like this betting blocks. You'd you'd buy these like squares for two dollars. Yeah, squares. Is that a common thing? Mm -hmm. Does everyone do this? Yeah. Okay. See, I I I know (laughs) nothing about this. The different scores. All all I know is that. <clears throat> I broke it down in a way that like pretty much everyone who does sports betting would probably tell me to shut up. <laughs> They'd probably tell me, why are you breaking it down like this? This is this is crazy. This is what people at my company said. They're like, it's just random. I was like, no such thing as random. If you think things are just random, then you don't have a grasp. That. That's such a Deej way to take this. What? <laughs> I, I, I can already see it. Like you're in your office and everybody's like, yeah, whatever, whatever. And you're like, well, if you actually look at it and uh, dive into the numbers, uh, nothing's really random at all. Repeating in some way. Yeah. No, just, like, shut I'm up. not mocking just you. Vote, but the, I am. vote the squares. Yeah, exactly. No, but you know that. Mock away. I know what I do. <laughs> but you know that that's not true, that, that it's not just, just random. So, okay. Here, here's, so here's what I thought about. And, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong about how these square things work, but from what I could tell is you bought a square and there was a row going down vertically and a row going horizontally at the top that these squares intersect. So almost like, you know, playing battleships or something. And on each, you know, vertical row, they have one team scores, the other team scores, and they'll say whatever the scores at the end of the quarter, whichever squares intersecting these two team scores will be, you know, who wins that square. And the squares, you know, the numbers for the squares that go across the vertical and horizontal row are randomized and picked out of a hat by someone. See, that's interesting. I mean, I haven't really done them too many times, but I would have figured that the numbers were based on, like, scores that could happen in a football game, like three, six, seven, ten. I guess, like, every score could happen. Yeah, well, I think the numbers they put in there in the hat are, you know, not below whatever score you could you could do. And then they just count up, you know, whatever. And that that was that was the element that most randomized it for me because so I started I started to break this down in, you know, a fractal sense. And like I said, if you know all the variables and different possible outcomes, mm-hmm. you can calculate every possibility of every possible outcome. So effectively you could guess Predict, predict the odds of what Square's going to win with a pretty high degree of accuracy. You know, you could give yourself like, oh, 60% that this is going to be the score, 80% that this is going to be the score. And how you would kind of do that is you would go about looking at each individual variable. So sports has a lot of data that can be broken down. And some people have done this in uh, fantasy sports betting. 
uh, there was a news article about how people created advanced algorithms to be able to win at sports betting uh, with high with a high degree of accuracy and precision, where they they the odds are in their favor, where they might be wrong, but they're right a greater portion of the time than they're wrong, mm. which ultimately would bring you to be more profitable yeah, if you had if you had a fail safe system that always left you in the positive at the end of the day just because of the way numbers work. So like gambling at a casino, uh, you're going to be left in the negative overall no matter what. Otherwise, the casino wouldn't make money. They'd be out of business and they'd be gone. So when people go, oh, I I win a lot. Oh, I win all the time. Well, the numbers are not in your favor. Otherwise, there would be no casinos. There would be no advanced high-rise buildings that they build. I mean, they make no money. And also... If you're winning a lot or you win all the time, yeah, maybe you had a couple good times that you went there, but you're you also probably had a couple bad times before that that you're not remembering, or you're about to have a fall on a few bad times. So I think everything has to even out in that respect because, like you said, there's no way they let you win more than they win. Exactly. Otherwise, they wouldn't be out of they would be out of business. It's but, just math. <laughs> but it's also just so difficult. So, for instance, to tell a little side tangent, I was telling Deej uh, before this got started today that I I won. Th- 300 bucks on a, a $10 bet for uh, betting on golf last weekend, a golf tournament. I bet uh, Adam Scott, who is a Australian golfer, and he, he actually hadn't played for like a month. He actually was coming off a win too. Um, but I bet him and at odds 30 to one and I put 10 bucks on him and he came in first place over four days of uh, golfing. You know, that's 72 times four, however many strokes that is um, to you know that that's the the par of the course but i mean over four days he he beat out a field of 180 people and it's just crazy because the odds are so against you for to like actually pick the the number one winner out of 180 people over the course of four days i mean for that to happen it's just ridiculous so So, the odds are against you but they're not fixed casinos odds are fixed against you Sports betting odds are not fixed. There's no way to fix sports yeah, betting they, odds. They, they, they move all unless the time. you th- unless you think sports are fixed. I've heard arguments of people saying basketball's fixed or whatever. I don't I don't know shit. What you, <laughs> explain what you mean by fixed because I think I'm thinking of a different version of the word. Well, when the casino sets up a slot machine, the they, payout is fixed. They fix how much they're going to make off of it. They know how much you're going to get as a payout, and they know how much they're going to get as a payout. And they make it just enough where it lures you in by making you win, but you lose just enough so the casino makes profit off of each machine. Mm. So each machine has generated outcomes, how many different you know, possible outcomes there could be out of how many are winning outcomes. Mm-hmm. That's rigged. They're rigging the outcomes that the, ever, the, possible, the possibilities of different outcomes are rigged in the machines. Casinos rig them. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, with sports, anybody, anything can happen. Well, the golfer you bet it on, I mean... <laughs> he could win this week, That's too. not rigged. It, you know, if this was a casino, they would rig how much that golfer wins, how mm-hmm. much of the time mm-hmm. he comes in first. Mm-hmm. would be a set number. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it, it's still randomized, but it's a, it's a set random. That, that'd be a hefty amount of collusion. Yeah, so... <laughs> That's that's why um, sports betting is probably your better bet. I mean, if you're going to waste money gambling, 
I would say waste. It's money. more fun that way too. <laughs> you might as well go with sports because you have a better chance of actually winning something because the odds aren't ridden. The, the odds you. are actually pretty good too. I mean, I was thinking about putting some money on uh, some different baseball teams to 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 win a few different types of bets here, um, and to actually like drive into Vegas and place these bets before March twenty sixth, <laughs> which is when you have to get these bets in by. But I digress. What I'm getting at is a lot of the odds are not that crazy. Like there's good teams that, you know, pay out pretty good odds just to do something that I think in my opinion, they have a pretty good shot of doing. And I feel like when you go into a casino and play blackjack or you go into the casino and play the slots, you're, you're really starting out so down because like you said, you're playing against a machine versus like for a sports team or a sports player, any human can find a certain amount of integrity on any given day and come out on top. Um, so it's, it's really, there's so many more variables. It's, it's like, it's not fixed at all. I mean, it's not robotic by any means. So on back to the, so back to the sports betting, uh, overall, like what I was talking about with the squares. So I'm not, I'm not coming up with anything that's like crazy new. I mean, people who analyze sports have been trying to break down, the predictability of who's going to win. I mean, everyone tries to predict who's going to win something. That's just that's just the nature of the game. And right now, they break down the data. They analyze all the other plays they made and all the players, yeah. all the stats and how they're going to do. It's insane, dude. It's getting out of hand. There's a ton of variables in it. My point is, in the, in the future here, there's going to be no way to un- not predict who's going to win. Because you're going to be able to use quantum computing to calculate all the variables, crunch all the data, no way. and produce with a high degree of accuracy who's going to win a game. No. Yes. There's How high? only so many variables. Because, okay, think about every possible play. Think about every move, every position, everything anyone mm-hmm. could do on the field. Mm-hmm. Every combination. Run every combination. He's going to go... He's going to step back half an inch. You know, like I'm saying calculate everything in a fourth dimensional manner. So it's almost like a super simulation. Yeah, it's, exactly. You're calculating every possibility of every possible outcome. So every tiny little move on the field that can I mean, happen. Don't we already do that? We don't. We don't have the computing power to do that. We do that at some sort of level. Yeah. but I no. mean... So I, what I talked about one of the last podcasts, what I talked about spaghetti models for hurricanes, trying to predict hurricanes, we crunch the numbers as much as we can and run every possible outcome of every possibility, given all the factors and variables into the dynamic system. All right. Well, tell me how, and I have an idea of how it would be different, but for instance, before I bet on this guy, Adam Scott, last week to win, I read a, and I've read an article that had it had a model that this guy put together that predicted winners of the last like couple you know tournaments out of however many it wasn't like every single time but it was pretty good um and again these golf tournaments have you know huge fields of a ton of players and this was this this model this mathematical simulation guessed it right more often than not pretty much and so I was reading about it, and um, essentially it runs like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of simulations of of every possible different outcome and what could happen based on not only um, like this week's, you know, 
situation, but based on how the players are performing recently in the past, how they're putting versus how they're, you know, hitting irons, you know, versus how the, the course is set up and it, it spits out, you know, after all those, those simulations it spits out who's, you know, who's going to be in first, second, third, et cetera. It gives, you know, a prediction. Is that not sort of a preliminary version of what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, it, all they're doing is taking the numbers of you know when they've won previously and just factoring in the average that this person is going to do, you know, the median of the performance that they've done before. So, I mean, you could always expect a median of performance with a certain margin of error that everyone's going to have any given time. Of course, there's good days, there's bad days. Factor all that together and you find a midline. So, but what you're saying is that this quantum at a quantum level is essentially, I think, what you were saying. This would be as in if, like, a simulation was run for every square inch on the golf course that, for instance, this ball could land. And every possible, like... Variation in wind, variation in grass, <laughs> each, each grade of, you know, blade of grass... Variation in that variation. I mean, to get in all that swing, information would be variation impossible. in Coriolis effect. Variation in pretty much every factor imaginable, incalculable right now. Mm-hmm. If you had a supercomputer, someday possibly could be calculable. I mean, they're thinking someday we could possibly simulate in, in, an entire you know own universe. Some people believe our universe is a simulation. There's there's actual actual credible scientists that actually believe we're all living in a simulation. We could that's be the Sims generated in a computer. It's possible. There are really scientists that believe that. Like yes, there's <laughs> actual credible ones there's that believe no that. There's no way. There's no way that's possible. I mean, go, it's possible that there's your, scientists. Go watch out your favorite there. podcaster. He's, he's that scientist on talking about it. Oh God, he's not my favorite podcaster. He's everyone's favorite hey, podcast. DJ's making Joe Rogan jokes over here, guys. <laughs> No, if I was making Joe Rogan jokes, I would be like, so sports betting, how was DMT, Nick? <laughs> no. Yeah, I guess that's what we would have to do if we were on the Joe Rogan show. Just start talking about, like, psychedelics and stuff. Yeah, so how was, your trip? how was your trip, man? How was eating elk meat? Did it make you go crazy? <laughs> <laughs> you should go watch Stephen Rinella. But, um, no, he, he has had some really good scientists on. He actually had um, Brian Green on recently. I haven't seen it. But um, he's a good theoretical physics. I like listening to Lex Friedman. He's had him on a couple times. I think he's also like a physicist or something or philosopher of some sort. Well, he's, he's had some good people on. And the the simulation theory is actually something that is taken very seriously. And I was going, oh, well, that's how our universe came about. Well, you need a universe to invent the simulator in the first place. So either way, you need a universe no matter what. You need something from nothing no matter what you believe in. To think that I'm like in a simulation is just... It's just not possible. It's possible. I don't think that's the case, but it's possible. I know it's possible because we could be able to do it someday. I mean, I guess in a way, for instance, if you look at like the video game Sims, they like the characters in the game wouldn't know. They'd have full conviction over the actions that they're doing. They'd think that they're making a food or something or like smoking hookah. You could do that in the Sims. But... But they're not advanced enough to have that degree of, well, you know. But I'm saying if we were in a simulation, I mean, 
it would be very hard for us to realize we are because we would never think that we are. We'd have full conviction that this is reality. That's the point of a simulation. Well, we don't the, know. That, this is the debate if we have free will. I would say we don't. That we don't have free will. Yeah. We don't really have free will. We're, we're influenced by so many externalities that we don't realize. So you're saying that, we yes, we do have the will to maybe do things, but there's so many external influences that there's no way our actions are n- are uninfluenced yeah i mean and, and on the subconscious level like <laughs> our brains are kind of running the show here yeah i mean i'm being influenced to sit in this chair right now because of the fact that i'm a little bit tired today <laughs> but that all could be an illusion that my brain's creating for me yeah so it's just another externality so uh, we're not going to get too upset if you get into this trippy. I mean, <laughs> yeah. this is starting to get really to the where, trippy where, realm. Where are we going, man? We could get there. We could get to the trippy <laughs> realm if you want to go there. I do, mean, you, do you want to break this episode up with a fun fact of the day? Fun fact of the day. Okay, this is going to launch us on another fun fat tangent of the day. All right, so fun fact of the day. Catatumbo lightning is mm. what we're going to talk about. Not catatumic like the catacombs in Egyptian times. No, catatumbo lightning. Catatumbo. So, this is a phenomenon that occurs only in one location on the Earth. It's off the coast of a province in Venezuela. Can I look this up on Google? Yes, you can. Anyone can look this up on Google if you want. There's some YouTube of it. And there's some fascinating footage that people have of it. So... What this is, is it's a lightning storm that occurs with such frequency that it can be predicted months in advance. Oh my gosh, this is crazy, dude. And it happens 160 nights of the year. Dude, this looks so scary. So almost every night, this lightning storm is forming over this lake. So it's by this lake that has this uh, inlet to the from the ocean that's coming into this lake. And almost every night, there's a lightning formation and the frequency that this lightning strikes is insane up to 280 times per hour of lightning strikes. Wait, can you not be in the area then? I mean, like it's real lightning, right? Like you can't go over to that river and just hang out. I mean, it doesn't mean it's just going to strike you. I mean, people are taking pictures. This is unreal. We'll, we'll have to drop some like descriptions in the link or something. Or descriptions in the link. We'll have to drop some links in the description. It says it occurs over the mouth of the Kat- Katumbo River. Yes. Where it empties into Lake Mara- Maracaibo. Mara- I don't know. Probably that, sound really and, dumb and now. And that is where it occurs. And it, it forms at the same time, the same way, every single time. So this... As I've stated before, weather is a complex dynamic system with unpredictable outcomes, unless you're able to predict those outcomes. So what's happening here is that there is initial conditions. So fractals and chaos theory are susceptible to what we call initial conditions. So initial conditions are what sets the path of whatever the outcome is to be of something. And everything is highly based upon the initial conditions of the system that the complex dynamic system is derived from. And in this instance, there is a multitude of variables that are producing this thunderstorm. And these variables are so constant 
that they're actually able to predict these storms months ahead of time based upon certain contingent factors. And some of these factors will include like levels of the lake. They can look at how high the levels of the lake are, the temperature of the lake, and where the wind is most predominant. Uh, we're able to predict, actually, the predominance of our wind with pretty high accuracy. And a lot of airports are actually created to face the direction based upon the area they're in with what frequency the weather is, the wind is blowing. And so the mechanisms that are in place that are causing this lightning to happen are so prevalent and they happen so often that these storms occur, like I said, you could predict when they're going to happen months ahead of time. You can accurately predict the structure of when these storms are going to occur that far ahead of time, which is unbelievable because, as you know, weathermen, right now a lot of our models can't predict over 10 days worth mm, of dam. Mm-hmm. That's why they have 10-day forecasts. It's also funny when I see like a 14-day forecast. I'm like, there's no way. Those are, no those, are just, those are just for fun. Yeah, <laughs> those, they have to be. They're not... They, uh, they, they could predict up to accuracy. Really, I would give them five-day accuracy. Okay, so I have a question. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to butt in here. Uh, I'm reading, and sorry, guys. I know that's like the worst thing to do when you're on a podcast is just be like Googling things and spitting them out on the microphone. But, I mean, honestly, I've never heard of this before, so I'm learning just as much as you all are. Uh, but I'm reading that it actually, uh, during the first four months of 2010, the lightning activity ceased completely which is really, really weird to me because um, I'm reading that. I mean, that was like the only time that it really ceased. And it says it's possibly due to drought that overtook the region. But you were saying there's certain um, factors that are there to begin with that cause this. Is, so is, wa- is, the wa- is the water significant here? Because Lake level. I did, you I, did say I, that. I said that you before. Did say the that. level of yeah, the lake. Did. So the drought would br- drastically bring down the level of the lake, which would cause certain moisture uplifting in areas not to occur not as much moisture to have be uplifted off of uh you know off of convection from the surface of the ocean and the lake itself so a lot of those factor into it there is other areas where stuff like this happens but not with as great a frequency as i said before it happens up to 10 hours per day 160 nights of the year, 10-hour lightning storms with 280 times per hour lightning strikes, which is ridiculous. (laughs) It's an insane amount of of lightning strikes. And the point here is that this is a complex dynamic system that has predictable outcomes that we as humans can actually already predict with a great degree of accuracy. So... Why would a chaotic system have predictable outcomes? Because a chaotic system is not actually chaotic. Because there is no chaotic system. It just seems to be chaotic to us. We've learned that in this uh, podcast, if you've been following along. Exactly. If you've been following along, you would know that there is nothing that is actually chaotic, just seemingly chaotic. Nothing is truly unpredictable. And that's why this fun fact is great for examining fractals and chaos theory because of its innate ability or innate ability to calculate the outcome. I I think everybody really needs to look this up or again, we'll put the link in the description because seeing a picture of this is 
One, I feel like I've seen this picture before. This seems familiar to me. I feel like I've seen seen this, but I just didn't know what it was called. Uh, and two, I feel like these pictures that I am seeing, I'm not totally sure if they're like a long shutter speed, like a long exposure on a camera, and all of those lightnings are striking at different times, or if they're all like hitting at the same time, but it looks like a huge rain cloud of lightning. That's long, it's long exposure. Okay, yeah. I know that one because I've seen this before, but... Not over that long of a period of time. Right. It's long exposure, but not over an insane period. Like I said, 280 times per hour. That's how many lightning strikes there are. Striking the ground, by the way. Not even just lightning that's happening. That's seriously insane. So it's a lot of lightning. It's quite an active storm with definitely a lot of static discharge coming from the clouds. So, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't want to go out there and chill. <laughs> you definitely yeah, no. wouldn't want to. doesn't mean certain death, though, but... It's funny because in the article that I was reading, they said, all right, so don't go, like, rush to be booking your uh, trips to Venezuela to see this because it doesn't happen, like, all year long. I mean, why would anybody be wanting to book a flight to this place? Oh, people want to see it. I, it seems so dangerous. But the thing is, don't be disappointed. Like I said, it only happens 160 nights out of the year, which is close to half. Yeah, that's almost half. So if you're there for a week, you're like bound to see it. Oh, it's bound to happen. And it, and it forms with such consistency. It's The locals are like, oh, well, there it goes again. I knew it's that crazy was coming. to me to think. So it's just at the inlet of the lake or whatever. Well, uh, I would say that this, that with the frequency it forms and where it forms, shouldn't be too a- alien to us Arizonans or Phoenicians. Because what do we have? Monsoons. Yeah, and what and what happens when you look north every monsoon season? Snow. Not snow. Monsoon season, summer. What do you see with great frequency every day? Up oh, there, they are forming again. There it is, forming again. Cumulus nimbus. Yes. We see it all the time. Same place, same time every year. Same t- part of the year. Wait, am I? And was I right? Yeah. Cumulus nimbus. Yeah. That's so sweet. I don't think I was going to be right Forming on that a thunderhead. One. We see them every monsoon season. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this last one we had wasn't too crazy. No, we didn't get that many storms, but you still see those clouds form out there every time around the same year. Same yep. things start happening. And it's actually funny because I now notice, like, usually on my way home somewhere around, like, middle of the summer, on my way home from Chicago, uh, Chicago, where did I get that from? California. Usually I'm going through either a, um, a haboob dust storm or a monsoon. So, yeah. And ju- just to add to the haboob, technically we don't have haboobs because that's sandstorms. We have dust storms. Well, everybody seems to pawn this haboob thing up on us. Yeah, well, it's not. Uh, if you if you increase the particular matter, of the, the the particles, then maybe you could call it one. Are you a haboob truther? It's not. It's not a truther. It's just you know, people want to call it what they want to call. It. I call it haboob sometimes, just because you know it sounds I think it's, fun. It's fun. Yeah. It sounds funny. It sounds fun. You know, we're we're all we're all adults, just but we're still children. <laughs> we're all adults but we're still children <laughs> yeah we're like oh haboob huh, funny mm-hmm. but um I, I, that's, yeah technically it's a sandstorm but i mean uh, whatever same thing's kind of happening is low visibility and you know, there's a massive wall of it coming in dust storm sandstorm whatever <laughs> you both we both get covered in sand and dust 
are there places in the you know the world where architects have to like consider i know i don't know how, i know like when there's hurricane threat you know in florida or somewhere along a coast obviously we see houses that are built on stilts and or you know whatever that are made for hurricanes and stuff like that i'm more thinking are there houses that are in for instance hurricane alley or places where there's significant amount of monsoons that are maybe outfitted to handle that kind of thing i mean it seems like such an elementary question i'm like asking hey are houses made to handle where they're put of course they are but i guess what i'm asking you specifically has anybody ever you know thought like oh we're gonna consider the fact that this hurricane usually uh or this uh, these monsoons approach from the east and we're gonna you know shield against that ahead of time i don't dumb question but i would say it only happens to the the degree in which the house would be destroyed like they have hurricane proof housing in places that normally get hurricanes they wouldn't build it here (laughs) we don't get we don't get hurricanes here but what you're talking about with like the monsoons or seasonal direction of stuff like that, I would say for the most part, there is not many examples of architects doing that around the world. Um, the Earthship that I've talked about a lot, they actually build uh, tsunami proof housing in certain countries mm-hmm. where you know there's going to be a tsunami at some point. You know, anywhere in the ring of fire, you know there's going to be a tsunami at some point. It's just bound to happen. Is it? an earth ship that's tsunami proof or just normal housing that's tsunami proof i mean you could make normal housing but uh, just this example that i know of the earth shipping is they make it so they could take this you know the loads of a wall of water hitting it mm-hmm. so it's, kind of, it's just designed to be able to do that uh, the hurricane proof housing you know has shape that's designed for the the wind to blow around it without putting too much structural load on the walls mm. too much loading on the walls you know just Made with an excessive amount of wind loading. So, and I, I've learned this from my, from my job, is we have wind loading requirements for wherever we're building. Different class of wind loading. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of stuff here will be wind loading like class C. And for here, the wind loading that is expected is like 100 miles per hour, which you know is like only microburst speeds around here. So, most of our buildings are built to are designed to take an excessive amount of wind loading more so than they normally do. Mm. So hurricane proofing something would just be increasing the amount of wind loading that you'd be able to take. They don't do too many special things for it. I mean, they'll put houses on stilts, like you said, for storm surge in certain areas where storm surge is more prevalent. Mm. Good answer. I guess like the reason I thought about the question originally was how, you know you always talk about when you build a house that you're going to consider where the sun rises and where it sets like where it's, what windows are facing the sun and things like that for instance my side of the house is so hot all the time because we have huge windows and it's just facing the sun yet my roommate is on the other side of the house and his window is like never facing the sun and we realize that's why his room is so cold and it's not smart passive design um the thing is, okay, so what, what what I'm actually advocating for isn't anything that's revolutionary exactly. Just maybe in the way I am advocating for it to the degree I'm advocating for it is a little different than anything I've heard. But there are examples of passive heating and cooling like the Earthship, for examples, where I got 
my ideas for passive heating and cooling. Um, problem is, is that, you know, and I'm going to say this as I always do say this, <laughs> a monetary gain system, there's not huge incentive for for you to create a building that's, you know, it's just get it done, get the money, move on. Get it done, get the money, move on. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's exactly like a music project or something where there's going to be a ton of like heart invested into it unless, of course, somebody bought a property or bought you know some kind of land and wanted to build on it. But it seems like a lot of this stuff is just, well, let's build these communities and build get this stuff up and, and move on with it. Like you said, it's, it's not Because that's more, more that. profitable. And people, people, when they're looking for houses, don't take that into account until they're actually living in the thing. I rarely see people in Arizona go, oh, but there's windows facing the west side. You know, the west side is going to get battered by the sun. Yeah. I barely see people realize that. I'm like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> you live in Phoenix. Would you consider that when you're looking for a house? Yeah, I would consider much more than that. You'd be surprised. Uh, you don't want to go. Basically, you don't want to go house hunting with me. Not a good idea. <laughs> DJ is going to like turn down every house. Or, I mean, every, there's going to be something wrong with every house. Every house I get into, bad, terrible design. This sucks. <sighs> This sucks. It sounds like you when we go pretty much anywhere. Yeah, terrible design. This sucks. Why is this design like this? There's some things I will note that are good, though. I mean, there's some times that I'm like, oh, well, that's good. But I highly doubt it was purposely done by the architect since most of the things that are done are cookie cutters just to get the money. <laughs> just get it out, get the money. So you believe that anything good that happens is a total accident? Not all the time. Just, I think, mainstream most of the time. I mean, obviously, airships are designed with passive in mind. Uh, sometimes that is taken into account. But a lot of times with these massive real estate developments, that's not taken into account. The most of the suburbs developments, that's not taken into account. They don't lay it out that way. They don't urban plan it or design it that way. It's just not designed that way. It's just designed maximize the amount of space that you have per acre that you bought and maximize the amount of profit. And get it done. Get it done. Profit. So, capitalism. Yeah. Some good old good old capitalism. They keep hearing that word capitalism so much lately. It keeps coming up in podcasts. Yeah. It's because the elections up. are coming around. Yeah, no, socialism, capitalism. We have both, so everyone calm down. Don't worry, we're not gonna talk about the elections on this podcast. No. It's no, not the place for not, it. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Oh, no, God. I mean I, I, I might talk about in the capacity where it actually has to deal with fractals also, just because of the inevitable predictability of the outcome. But we're talking about sports betting when it comes to that. Yeah. So I mean Which is really up my alley. I mean anything relates to it. I'm not gonna start saying we should take political positions here, but as I've said I I'm a huge advocate for resource-based economy because most of my designs are designed to operate in a resource-based economy, which economy is another example of a complex dynamic system. So however the arrangement of the economy is, is how the building is going to have to be uh, built around. Mm. So all my buildings are built with the idea that it's going to be a resource-based economy. So my designs never involve any monetary exchange so your your ideas don't even like work in today's society no i don't believe our society works with nature anyway now if somebody gave you the opportunity to implement one of your designs or kind of change it to work the way our society is now and they were really giving you that leverage and giving you the opportunity would you turn that down just because we're in a capitalistic society no it has to come from somewhere there has to be a transition we're not just going to 
everyone's not going to wake up tomorrow and go, huh, I don't like my job and I don't like paying <laughs> yeah. mortgage and I don't like that's money. That's what I'm saying. That's it not going to happen. Yeah. That's insane to think that that's going to happen. Right. I mean, it, that would be a revolution that would just cause chaos. And I would never advocate for such a rapid transition. But see, see, my beliefs are, here's my dream scenario. You know how there there are rich people like Elon Musk who get to try out their rocket designs and ideas? Yeah. They spend boatloads of money trying to try it out. I want to try out a small community, a resource-based community, isolated from the rest of the infrastructure that operates on its own just as a proof of concept, just to start having a, a playground to you know, be able to make mistakes without it being critical to <laughs> it, the inhabitants. It's so funny because what you're describing to me right now sounds like the TV show on Netflix called The Good Place. Um, it, 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 I don't want to ruin it. It's so hard to explain what it is without ruining it. And by kind of telling you what I just even told you, it kind of ruins it on its own. But everybody should go check it out, The Good Place. I think you'd really like it. It's, it's a bit of a, a mind screw. But yeah, that's, that sounds like something interesting. I mean, essentially, I am talking about a good place, so to, so to speak. But I, I, I'm essentially just advocating for a testing ground. I mean, military is able to test their bombs and jets wherever they want. Um, car companies are able to have massive facilities where they crash test their cars and test How their cars. How big would this testing ground need to be? Um, I would say a small community. So this has to be community, right? I, I, would, I would say... A good starting point would be maybe a thousand people, inhabitants of hundred to a thousand, somewhere in between. That's so big, Deej. That's not that's not that massive, actually, if you think about it. It's not. I mean, it's not. But to get like a federal entity on board to let you do that, that's well, a thousand people's lives. And essentially, you're 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 saying that like you're taking like the governing laws out of out of. Well, I, I, what, I, what I'm saying is not testing it all at once. So you would test entities of, of, the whole, of the whole first. So you make up a family design house to work in unison with all the others. You test that one out by itself, make sure it's structurally sound, make sure all the systems operate so everyone can live in it. Once you have that set, then you start testing out other entities of this community. You, you want to test out like a, a, a music venue. You want like a park or something. You get a ground to test that out. So this is kind of what the Earthship community is already doing. They're under a subdivision where he's able to test out new single family home designs. What aspects would you be testing out per se if, for instance, you, you put a park into this? You know, um, we'd be testing the fractal design, how it's able to work and succinct with nature, um, how it's able to work with how people are going to use the thing. So, I mean, you would have people use the park and... What do you mean how it's able to work, though? Well, it it depends on what level of design the park is done at. I mean... Is it supposed to, like, you know, provide oranges and orange trees so that people could come and get their fruit? I would something? say the, the parks aren't meant for food production. They could have that, but they're more meant to be a... Uh, uh, it's it's called placemating in architecture. Parts are you're creating a place for people to enjoy nature outside in a controlled environment. Essentially, so it, it's doing. a piece of entertainment. 
Yeah, and I mean, pe- people like parks. If you ever go down in the park, people like walking their dogs down there. People, people love like to, parks. People like to go to them. It's a really weird thing in our society. If you think about it, parks are everywhere. It's one of those phenomenons where we don't really think about it, but if you turn anywhere, there's parks everywhere. Parts are the last far cry of a society that's detached itself from the natural order. Say that again. I said I said parts are <laughs> a far cry of what a society has done by detaching itself from nature. We've detached ourselves from nature so much that we need little park entities to be able to feel like we're still a part of nature in some aspect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why we need them. That's why park. That's why you need you need a bunch of parts inside cities. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I I, I wouldn't cite it. I want to quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure I've seen a study that showed that the more parks there were per capita in a city, the happier the inhabitants of the city were likely to be. I believe that 100. percent Now I don't know if there's a um, causation to that. I don't know if there's a, you know causality to that, but I think the numbers did prove that there was a correlation, at least. I don't know if that proves causality, but I think when they looked at it, the people that attended it were happier when they were able to attend parks, mm. opposed to people that are in a chaotic society with so much stimulus input that we weren't designed to be able to deal with. Mm. Um, one, of, one, of the good, one of the good examples of the way we designed something we're not able to deal with is the effects of what happens to you when you're flying, because your body was not made to go... Uh, 500 miles per hour, uh-huh. 30,000 feet in the air. No? <laughs> no. <laughs> it wasn't. Unfortunately, it wasn't designed to do that. Same way your body wasn't designed to have so much stimulus input from the society we've created. All the noises and all the pollution. Your body's not meant for it. Same way your body was not meant to consume 10 alcoholic beverages within an hour of each other. Maybe not. <laughs> Unless you're George Cuffrin. Was that something he did? I don't know. Sounds like it. Oh God, what's what's happening? That was my hour limit. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're at an, around an hour already. Yeah. What? All right, I think we're getting to a good end point anyway. We can talk for another five minutes. Keep going. So, yes, we are getting to just stopping point. So, I mean, what I, what I'm advocating for is a testing ground for these buildings. We have testing ground for everything else. I mean, freaking, we tested the atomic bomb somewhere, and scientists <laughs> didn't even know if it was going to stop. <laughs> that's exploding. crazy. Yeah, that's And we insane. tested that somewhere. So would it hurt if we tested out advanced systems for housing? We don't. We just go with what's already been done. We don't make that much strides in advancements Would in you still housing. have, like, police and stuff? I mean, obviously, you do it slowly, and if you were testing this, like you said, it'd be implemented a little bit at a time, but in these communities, is there still, like, the same amount of jobs, same amount of people, but everybody just does things for a different reason? Well, jobs are just a consequence of monetary system. That doesn't make sense. They're just a consequence of needing to make money. Um, Automated systems already produce most of our goods. But what I'm saying, I guess, is, I mean, so you're saying that anything that people would do would be just because they have a passion to be doing it, which I understand. But what I'm, what I'm also saying is then the jobs that we need that robots can't do, like police, for now at least, what do we do without that? Well, there would be a transition. So 
that's what yeah again, that's again what I'm, I'm not trying to get too political here but there's what i believe democratic socialism and then after democratic socialism you have universal basic income and then you kind of transition from universal basic income to a resource-based economy it's a slow, slow trickle transition. Yeah, like you said, you can't just wake up tomorrow and have this happen. Oh, resource-based economy, uh, UBI. Yeah. I don't think anyone's ready for a universal basic income yet, but we will need it. Enough jobs are going to be automated away where we will need it. I looked, there was a Cambridge study that proved the figures I've been putting out, that 40% of job loss by 2030. That's a lot. That's a lot. But you know what's interesting? I think about my job and how I'm a full-time, like, for instance, podcast editor. The nice thing about this is that this is a way for people to creatively and, for that matter, non-creatively get their message out and speak their truth. And I think creative things aren't going to go away. Exactly. That's what would stay. And you might say, oh, well, being a police officer doesn't have creativity. Well, actually, it kind of does. <laughs> you have to break down people's stories. Think about why you wouldn't want police officer to be automated. Because a machine would just look at the hard, it wouldn't look at the human element to right. what's going on with the situation. Right, right, right. And, you know, a lot of people who do police work love it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You'd have to have a lot of people that are committed to doing things that they enjoy, like for hobbies. And I mean, that's that's what you just said it yourself. Like police people, police people, I don't know. <laughs> police officers tend to love their work. And it's the same thing, you know, with these jarheads that go off to war. They tend to love it and they want to go out there and, and get on the battlefield and all that good stuff. But, but what I'm saying, I guess, is we... I th I think if you, if you did this, people would get bored enough to where they would start going back and doing things every day. They wouldn't just be sitting on their couch doing nothing eternally. Well, I think that, you know that's where a lot of people undersell humanity. Oh, everyone's just going to be lazy and sit around. It's like no, that's, yeah, it's not going to happen. There's no way. There might be some people that do it, but so what? There's but already it's gonna some be no different that than that. yeah. I was going to say there's no different than the people that do it today. And so what? If they want to live their lives a waste and not do anything with it, fine, you know, they could go do that. Uh, the people who do stuff with their lives in a resource-based economy will get more notoriety. You'll get higher up on the uh, socioeconomic hierarchical level. But isn't that, doesn't that go a bit against what you, you kind of stand for? Because I feel like you've never really been one for a popularity contest and one to climb up like the socioeconomic chart. Um, well, that's not because of the popularity in itself, the concept of popularity. It's the way people get popular. A lot of it is through superficial means. So you would be okay with popularity if it had better morals associated to with it? To some extent. I mean, a lot of people, they over-idolize things and they, you know, worshipping. There's too much worshipping of celebrities and stuff in this country and for the wrong reasons i mean we worship people because of <laughs> superficial stupid reasons money oh they got money or the you know they they, they cool play shoes they play this they play the sport well which you know i i guess i could see if that person worked hard they studied you know they're good inspiration for some people but a lot of it is non-huge contributors, like the freaking Kardashians. What do they contribute? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Zero. Zilch. <laughs> no contribution to the society, and they're wildly popular and known. That kind of stuff I have a problem with, but that's yeah. just a sign of a degradation of a sit society. Yeah, I think that's more of a, a people problem than a... 
that's a people problem. So, like I said, in the concept itself, I don't have a problem with personality as long as, you know, our popularity as long as it's not excessive. I mean, obviously, you go, okay, well, then why do I do any of the work? Well, hopefully, this is the work you love, but people, people seek recognition for what they do. I mean, that's just the nature of humanity as a pat species. We have pat psychology. If we feel like we're not contributing to the pack then we feel useless mm-hmm. that's just born into us well it's tribe mentality well it's, it's not tribalism in a bad way it's tribalism and i want to have a skill that's advantageous for the survival of my species and us as a group pat species want want to be able to contribute our part well that's why i always i also think that like if you went to the society that you're you're su- you're suggesting resource based economy, that people still would go out and do things because our human nature wants us to go participate, and our human nature wants us to give back, and our human nature wants to be a part of something. So yeah. I have a hard time believing that everybody would just stop. Well, and they wouldn't. And, th- and think about everyone you've met when you ask them, "What is your, what is it you're passionate about, or your dream about?" and they go oh, I'd like to do this, but it just doesn't make any money. It's mm-hmm. just not it's not viable mm-hmm. or it's not realistic. How many times have you heard people say that? Mm-hmm. That's a, uh, I want to be a musician. Oh, that's not realistic. I can't do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you probably, do you know a lot of people that say that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of people that say, oh, I would like to do this, but it's just not realistic. There's a quote that I love, and it's one of my favorites. And, it, and when every, anytime I talk about this kind of stuff, I always bring it up. And, uh, I kind of forgot the quote, but <laughs> it goes along the lines of talking about just starting. You know, so many people, they they don't start, for instance, in the podcast world, and because I work with so many podcasters, I hear all these ideas and people come to me and they have all these things they want to do, this, that, the other, but there's always things in their way that they that are sub- seemingly in their way, not actually in their way. It's always, they don't have enough money. I don't have the right gear. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough, the perfect plan. I don't know what my topic's going to be. It seems like so many times in the world, people are, uh, they degrade or not degrade rather, but they, they lose out because they truly believe that there's an obstacle in front of them that doesn't exist. And a quote, a different quote that's not, not the one that I was thinking of is that you need to be able to wake up and eat reality for breakfast. And I love that because it says you need to wake up and take each day, uh, look it in the face and really tackle the tasks that are meaningful. And I do th- this thing where I, uh, you know, we all like to hide from tasks that are, you know, maybe we don't want to do or, or whatever it may be. But what I'm getting at is as humans, we always tend to make excuses in our minds of why we can't start. There's like a huge barrier of entry before we do anything. And I think it's time that people just put that down and, and start doing. Not enough people just do. So I actually have a concept to add to that. I'm trying to... This fucking internet is not fucking loading. <laughs> <laughs> it's called like the... um. I think it's called like the toolbox fallacy. And it's where you create this in your head, like, I want to do this, but I'm waiting for this to happen, or I'm mm-hmm. waiting for that to happen. As soon mm-hmm. as I do that, then I can start doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's called, like, the tool toolbox or something. Yeah, the toolbox fallacy. Okay, I looked it up. It's called the toolbox fallacy. 
I'd like to hear more about this. I mean, this sounds like it's right up the, the alley of what I talk about a lot with like my personal development clients and stuff. So Tilbaugh's fallacy is, yeah, it's um, people use things they claim they need but don't have to avoid getting things done. Say that slower. So the Toolbots fallacy is that people use things they claim they need but do not have to avoid getting things done. So you say, oh, I want to get fit, but I'm waiting to get a gym membership. Then I can get fit. Ah. Or I want to do this career, but I'm waiting to be able to get accepted. It's such a sad place that we're at in the world where this is so prevalent. I mean, this is seriously, people think that they're pinned down to this job that they got a degree for and they can't make money doing anything else where I'm living walking proof that that's not true. I was just, I, I just hired my first employee, Rob, who's actually been on this show. Check out like episode seven, I think maybe eight. Um, but with Rob Dinudo, uh, actually might've just been two ago. I don't know anymore, but he, uh, you can learn more about him and, and he, I just hired him to work at my, my production company. And he's doing some podcast editing and he wants to achieve the dream of being like a nomad van life guy who has a remote job, gets to edit audio, upload to, you know, when he's at like Starbucks in the middle of nowhere uh, on his journeys and and, and make a living and and live that life. And this is something that I want to make happen for him and I know can happen for him. And really, it's just about starting. And he was texting me today and he's like, hey, man, like it sucks. I wish I just could have all this stuff right now. I wish we could just you know, be, be, uh, knee deep in this to begin with. But what he also said on the tail end of that is like, he realizes that it takes time to build up to that. And I keep telling him, um, you know, I'll be able to give him more and more work, but he's just got to trust me and put in the time and, uh, you know, not just wait for things to happen. Like the opposite of the toolbox fallacy, you shouldn't just wait around, but, uh, you have to be patient sometimes for things to happen. And, and I think it's just amazing that, there's people that think you can't do things and there's people like Rob and people like you and I who know that if you just get started, you can do anything. And, and, and that's, and that's part of it. It was so toolbox fallacy. I wouldn't say like, Oh, just jump head first into it and go all in. Just don't use toolbox fallacy as an excuse, as a barrier. But if you are trying to build up funds, you know, you want to buy some property or something to start off gridding, that's obviously stuff you have to just get. I mean, there's obviously a cost of there's a cost to play, right? Exactly. Like, I mean, that's like with anything in the world, but there's there doesn't have to be a complete barrier, right? I mean, there's a barrier of entry, entry but there doesn't have to be a wall that's never going to be broken down, like the, the the Game of Thrones wall, whatever the Great Wall of no, fucking the, the classic saying is Rome wasn't built overnight, and it sure was not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Rome wasn't built overnight, and uh, you know. Joe Rogan didn't get famous overnight. No, actually, I've looked at some of his really old podcasts. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Thousand some episodes in, man. He just started doing it, though. And, it, and through just doing it and doing it and doing it, finally blew up into what it is now. It's crazy because I, I've, I've been thinking about starting. Well, not thinking. I've already recorded a few episodes of my new podcast. I'm trying to get like three or four months in the bag before I release so that I could just they just go out automatically and there's no stress, like no last minute type releases and stuff. Um, 
but it's really interesting to think how a lot of people that get famous in this do up to like a thousand episodes before they really start to see the return. I mean, not even a thousand that maybe that's a bit harsh. Like there's a few people that have done a thousand, but um, you know, you have to do hundreds of episodes for people to usually catch on. Uh, and it's really about creating that environment and that lifestyle for people. Well, guess what I'm getting at is that starting my show, I'm like, wow, I want to keep doing this. There's something about talking. That's really really enjoyable but thinking about getting a hundred episodes in much less 200 300 i mean that's hard for me to think about now but i guarantee if i just start doing it it'll eventually happen i'm not gonna let my barrier of entry stop me yeah and you know i think that's some things a lot of people have is they expect immediate results with something like oh there's only five people listening to this podcast but I guess coming from the local music scene, uh, I know what it's like to get up there and play to two people <laughs> yeah, and eventually work your way up to where you have a hundred people you're playing to. And those two people are the show promoter and the audio guy. <laughs> or the band that's high <laughs> headlining. Yeah, the band that played before or after you, yeah. Just sitting behind their instruments like, huh, these people. The other opening bands waiting, already left. Waiting for that, yeah. <laughs> well, that was us, so I can't even... <laughs> yeah, ba- in the second half of our music career, that ended up being us. I just couldn't stay there much longer. Well, we all had jobs and stuff to do the next morning. It was, it was just had to. So. But, but despite that point, um, what I'm what I'm basically saying is like I think part of his expectations too. Like for this podcast, I didn't have any expectations, and now each episode gets at least a hundred listens, which exceeds my expectations. That's crazy. I mean, I even I I didn't even. It's not that I didn't expect you to get that many listens. It's just that with how little marketing we're doing with no Instagram marketing or anything on this show, you were just organically getting people because of like the way you're naming your episodes and the, the search terms. And it just goes to show if you find the right niche, anything can happen. I mean, architecture uh, and, and fractals is, is sort of all up for grabs in the podcast space right now. And, yeah. and you're, you're doing it in a fun way, which I think is a lot different. Than well, that's why I, I was like, where are these listings come from? I feel like I haven't earned these. <laughs> I was like, what work have I put in for these? You know, when you, it's funny when you talked about like how you were getting more listens at first before you disclosed the numbers, because you told me this a few weeks ago, but before you dec- disclosed the numbers, I was like, oh man, that's just like me listening a bunch of times. <laughs> but it's not. I mean, I've listened to each episode about four or five times maybe, but um, not, not, a not a hundred, not even close to a hundred. You know, so. I haven't even checked on it that recently. This was like a month ago that I checked on these numbers. We should check again, but I mean, luckily we got more episodes coming out. I think the last one before the one you guys are all listening to as we speak right now was the one with the underwater ocean sounds. Yes. Um, I need to release that. It's really good. (laughs) And to all of you, of course, it will already have been released. You already have heard it. (laughs) Yeah. So, all right, Deej, you got anything else before you close us out? So, I, I would say in closing here, that this this podcast this one in particular was a little conjumbled on what we talked about, but all full circle, everything still relates to fractals. Uh, the the lightning we talked about. I encourage everyone to go look it up. It's fascinating when you look at the actual lightning bolts that are being produced. And that again, that's cat- catacomic, catatumbo. Yeah. That, that. <laughs> I used my own joke against me. Catatumbo. Catatumbo lightning lightning occurs in Venezuela. And yeah, feel free to go look that up. Um, There's some interesting videos to look at of people that have filmed time lapses and stuff. It's really cool. And 
thing thing to notice is that it occurs in a fractal pattern and the lightning bolts themselves that are coming out are fractal patterns and the clouds themselves have fractal patterns to them so everything's just a fractal just in, in your normal day life, just be on the lookout for fractals. It's fun to drive around and just look at all of them that occur in nature and just think about how there's a practical, actual usage to them, like betting on sports. So this has been a good podcast. Nick, thank you for your insight on sports, and that'll be all for today. Thanks. You're very welcome, Deej. I'm kind of sad that the only insight I was able to offer to you was about sports. I thought I offered a little bit more of this episode. But oh, no, you offered a lot more, but I was I don't know anything about sports, yes, so I needed help. You're very welcome. We'll see you guys next time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for joining us today. If you want or have any questions or comments, you can email me at fractalexploratorium at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram with the handle at Fractal Exploratorium. I want everybody to have a nice rest of your day or night.